On today's episode, we are going to learn how to determine volume status in any situation. Hey guys, what's up? This is Sean from the Nurse Dose Podcast. And before we get into the episode today, I just wanted to ask a couple of favors of y'all. If you haven't already, if you could please like, follow, um, rate the podcast on both Spotify and iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast, um, it would really help the podcast as well as writing a review on iTunes as well. Um, that's just kind of how the podcast gets discovered by other people. Whenever you search for like nursing podcasts, that's how, um, this one will pop up if there are a lot of followers and reviews on it. And it's just something that I need y'all's help so that we can get this podcast into the ears of people that really need to hear it. But anyways, let's go ahead and get right into the episode. Like I said in the intro, we're going to be talking about how you can determine fluid status in any given situation. Um, Pretty much, we are going to be talking about how to determine if your patient needs fluid in order to maintain their blood pressure or maintain perfusion, uh, given any kind of equipment that you might have at hand, given um, none to everything. So let's get right into it and start off with um, a patient who has nothing but a blood pressure cuff. What can you do to determine the fluid status on this patient? Now, it's situations like this where you kind of have to become a detective and get really uh, nitpicky with every single detail that your patient gives you. Um, So the first thing that you can do to see if your patient will be fluid responsive, if they are, you know, hypo um, tensive at this point is you can do something called a passive leg raise. And um, it's basically just what it sounds like. You're going to passively raise the patient's legs and you will take a blood pressure before you do this and after and see if there's any noticeable change. So the key word to this is passively. So This is really easy to do whenever you have a patient who is um, intubated and sedated because all you do is literally pick their legs up to at least a 45 degree angle. It's better if you can do it more. The first time I saw this legit done by a doctor, he picked the legs up all the way to where it looked like he was changing a baby's baby's diaper, which um, kind of shocked me a little bit, but you know, that's kind of how he did things. And Um, supposedly that is how you get the most accurate, um, passive leg raise. But anyways, um, what I usually do if I'm in a pinch and I need to really tell if my patient will be responsive to a fluid bolus is I will just raise the foot of the bed so that it is about 45 degrees and see if there is a noticeable change in the blood pressure afterwards. Um, You usually have to wait about 30 seconds to a minute to see if there is going to be a change. So you don't want to take it while you're doing the passive leg raise. You want to take it 30 seconds to a minute afterwards. And um, if you see any noticeable change in blood pressure, that means that your patient is most likely going to be responsive to fluid because this kind of acts like a little mini bolus that you're giving to the patient by forcing the blood in the lower extremities to go towards the core. And while you can do this with just a blood pressure cuff, it's actually even better if you have an A-line because you can see the blood pressure increase in real time. And um, that is just another way 
of being more confident that your patient will be fluid responsive. And it's gotten to the point where if my patient is unexpectedly going hypotensive, this is the first thing that I do is I'll put their legs up. Kind of like if you see somebody faint, that's kind of like the first instinct of people is to pull their legs up to get that blood to the core. And um, that's kind of what I've adapted to my practice. And it's given me um, a little bit of time since the hypotension has started to occur uh, to figure out what I need to do. If I need to start pressors, you know, call the doctor, anything like that just depends on the magnitude of the hypotension. But other than a passive leg raise, the really only other thing that you can do to determine fluid status with your patient who does not have any advanced monitoring equipment is um, your assessment. So this is where you're going to be looking at um, mucous membranes to see if they are dry, if they are wet. Um, obviously, if they are dry, that shows you that there is some kind of uh, dehydration occurring in the patient, which could um, suggest that your patient will be responsive to fluids. Um, next, you'll be looking at skin turgor, which is like that skin tinting. Um, the easiest place to do this is around the knuckles of the hand. Um, you know, you just pinch the skin, see how long it takes for it to go down. If it takes longer, um, you know, rather than shorter, then it, it's pretty suggestive that your patient is dehydrated and um, does need some fluid. You can also kind of tell by uh, your capillary refill if that is uh, something that could be indicative of uh, fluid responsiveness. But the thing you have to be careful with, especially if you are in a CVICU or a CCU, anything that's cardiac related, um, if you have a patient whose cardiac output uh, might be hindered, then that could be the reason why the cap refill is low. So you can't really go off of it 100% of the time, but it's another good clue as to where you need to head. Okay, and next let's talk about your patient who has an A-line and a CVP. Um, so this is a little more invasive. You have lines both in the uh, central venous system and you have a peripheral arterial line um, so you do have things sticking in uh, places where they shouldn't be um, hence the invasive although this is going to be minimally invasive because it's not a huge deal um, but so of course everybody knows cvp that is kind of what we use um, just intrinsically to determine fluid status because it directly measures your preload or your CVP, your central venous pressure. Um, and that is going to directly correlate to your fluid status. However, I will say that um, I never go off of the initial um, number that I get on a CVP. It's uh, something that I use as a trend. So if I see that the CVP is trending down, I am thinking that my patient might be fluid responsive. If I see it trending up, then I think I'm getting overloaded. So I don't really go off of like, oh, my CVP is two. Uh, that means I need to give some fluid because there's so many factors in CVP and these pressures that um, you can't really confidently go off one number that you get, you know, just initially, you kind of have to see the trend of where things are going. And this is going to be a common theme for um, a lot of these minimally invasive uh, techniques that we use to determine fluid status. So basically, if I have a CVP and let's say I hook it up, it starts out at, let's say, eight. 
Um, over the next hour or two, I see that it is decreased to like six or five. That's kind of indicative to me that my patient might need some fluid. Um, and I know a lot of y'all might be thinking like, how do you know when you need fluid? Like, would you, would you wait until the blood pressure starts going down? Um, what is the deal with that? So what I have to say to you on that is if you wait for a result to come to you in terms of fluid status, in terms of blood pressure, if you wait until you see a result or a consequence, um, in the blood pressure, you're already too late in, um, you know, fixing your patient's fluid status, because at that point, your body has gone through all the compensatory mechanisms that it can to keep your blood pressure at a manageable rate and or a manageable level. And you are now starting to uh, see the direct consequences on your blood pressure. So you're a little too late in that aspect. But if you see like we're talking about right now, if you see the CVP trending down before you see the blood pressure trending down, that's a good place to catch it before you get those real consequences. So then you might be asking, then what's the point of using an A-line to determine fluid status? And there is one thing, like one secret thing that I love to use um, with an A-line that gives me a good indication of something that we're gonna be talking about more a little bit later, which is stroke volume variation. Now, um, there are actual machines that will measure stroke volume variation just from the A-line, um, but I know this is not available to a lot of centers, and we're going to be talking about this machine in the next section, but you can kind of get a guesstimate on how much um, stroke volume variation you have just by looking at the A-line waveform. Now, you want to get the waveform to a place where you can see um, the you know, the, the whole waveform in the strip. So I know a lot of people kind of zoom in. So it's like, um, taking up the whole row, but what you want to do is have some space so you can see if the waveform as a whole goes up and down. So this movement of the whole waveform going up and down with the respirations of the patient is called arterial swing. And this is a pretty good indication that you have um, some variation in your stroke volume because every um, the, the pulse pressure that you have in your waveform, in your arterial waveform, is directly correlated with your stroke volume. So if you have your waveform going up and down, it's showing that you're having some variation in your stroke volume. Um, it's really hard to kind of uh, illustrate this through words. <laughs> I'm doing the best that I can. But um, the first time you see it, uh, it's really obvious. And you will remember what that looks like, you know, for the rest of your career. Because it's just so weird. It's like, you know, the whole waveform as itself makes, you know, waves uh, down the um, the monitor. So... Um, it's pretty easy to catch on to. And, you know, just seeing that, you can see that it is indic indicative of fluid status. So the more swing there is, the more variation, which would mean the more responsive to fluids. Now, going on to the next section of monitoring, if you are lucky enough to be in a hospital that has a... Um, an EV1000 or um, any other kind of flow track device. Um, this is usually produced by Edwards Sciences. Um, 
this machine will actually calculate that stroke volume variation from what we just talked about from the um, arterial line and the arterial swing and um, the difference in pulse pressures that are being um, generated by the arterial line. Um, and this will give you, at a minimum, it'll give you a stroke volume variation, it'll give you stroke volume, and it'll give you cardiac output and cardiac index as long as you are able to put in the patient's height and weight. Um, so this is a very awesome piece of equipment, something that I don't think is used enough. And a lot of nurses are um, not able to set it up correctly just because they don't use it as much. But you get all this super valuable information that we used to only be able to get if the patient had a swan. And now you can do it with just an A-line. Um, the other great thing about this is if you have a CVP line, it can actually uh, measure your stroke um, your systemic vascular resistance as well, which is another thing that can indicate um, fluid status. So it's uh, very valuable if you have both a CVP and an A-line to try and set up this flow track machine so that you can get a better picture of what your patient is doing. And you're not just using your eyes and trying to guess at how um, fluid responsive this patient is going to be. So now that we have actual numbers to put with the stroke volume variation, what is the normal? Um, now, if you've listened to my stroke volume variation podcast episode, you probably already know, but um, anything less than 10 to 15% is considered normal. So if you have anything above that, or that is pretty much uh, reaching that threshold of like 14, 15, you can kind of assume that uh, the patient would be responsive to fluid because this is just a numerical representation of that arterial swing that we were kind of talking about earlier. The more variation that you have in your stroke volume, the more responsive you are going to be um, when giving fluids. Now, this is still a minimally invasive technique on measuring stroke volume variation, so you have to take that um, with uh, you know some caution. Um, as you use this to determine fluid status. But like I said earlier with CVP, it's something good to use as a trend. So you don't wanna just hook up your vigil, your EV1000, um, your flow track device, and then use that initial number that you come off of. Because uh, as far as you know, as the hours or the, you know, the minutes go by, the uh, stroke volume variation could well enough go down and you, will find out that your patient is actually not responsive to fluid. So it's one of those things that you have to trend, um, just like the CVP and um, kind of what we're going to talk about next, which is going to be systemic vascular resistance. Um, and like I was saying, the flow track devices can measure a systemic vascular resistance because all you need to measure this, to calculate this is you need a CVP, you need cardiac output, and you need a map. And you get all three of those things with a um, flow track device. Now, is the cardiac output going, going to be super accurate? No, but like I said, it'll give you a good starting point and a good place to trend uh, these numbers. Now, I've gone over systemic vascular resistance in a previous episode, but um, all you really need to know in a nutshell is systemic vascular resistance is your afterload. So basically um, what gives you your pressure that the heart is working against um, to push out that blood into the rest of the body. 
And um, the normal values for systemic vascular resistance is anywhere from 700 to about 13, 1500 dynes per second per centimeter, blah, 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 blah. So all you need to know, 700 to 1500 is the normal. Now, if you are on the low side or on the high side of that, uh, it'll make a difference. So let's say you are on the low side. So let's say you're like 600, 700. You are going to be more dilated vascularly, vascularly than, um, you know, if you were like a thousand, 1200. Now, if you were 1500, 1600, you are more clamped down. Um, and this is where we are going to be focusing our attention to, uh, when determining fluid status. So if you have a patient who needs fluid, most likely their SVR is going to be high because their body is trying to squeeze every last bit of fluid that they have to give you some sort of blood pressure. Um, at least that's how I think of it. It's a really uh, over dramatic that dr dr it's an over dramatic simplification of what SVR is. Um, but that's how I um, can see it and how it makes sense to me just to um, oversimplify things like that. Um, now if you are low on your SVR, so let's say you have 500, 600, that is a dilation problem and something that can be fixed with vasopressors. Um, so it's something you have to kind of look at. So you can look at this along with your stroke volume variation to determine if your patient is going to be fluid responsive. And now like everything else that we've been, um, talking about with these minimally invasive techniques, uh, it is best to trend these things. SVR, I feel like is one of the things that you don't have to trend as much because, um, it's a pretty cut and dry number. Um, but it does take into account your, uh, CVP and your cardiac output, which are both things that should be trended in terms of fluid status. So take that with a grain of salt when using SVR to determine fluid status. Um, now, I think we are ready to talk about our most invasive um, techniques for determining fluid status, and that is, of course, with the CVICU favorite, um, a Swan-Gans catheter. Now, if you don't know what a Swan-Gans catheter is, it's that yellow catheter that you know goes in kind of like a central line, usually through the right IJ, and it'll go all the way through the heart, also, when I say through the heart, I mean it goes through the right atrium, it goes into the right ventricle, up, and then sits in the pulmonary artery. And this is what we use to get um, cardiac output, cardiac index, stroke volume, uh, stroke volume variation. All these things are directly measured with this catheter. Um, so it is going to be the most accurate way of determining you know, cardiac output, stroke volume, um, all those things. And then it also gives us the advantage of measuring your pulmonary wedge pressure. Now, this is something that can be pretty confusing to some people, but the easiest way to explain it is your pulmonary wedge pressure is going to be your left atrium pressure. So it's basically going to be your CVP, but on the left side of the heart, if that makes sense. So we'll talk about pulmonary wedge pressure first, since it's something that we haven't really touched on yet. We've really touched on everything else except for pulmonary wedge pressure. Um, and the way of measuring it is actually pretty unique. So as we know from what I just said, this catheter terminates in the pulmonary artery. And at the end of it, it has a balloon that can be inflated. And when that is inflated, it includes the pulmonary artery and will give us the direct pressure 
um, of the you know left atrium um, and give us that left atrium um, pressure, which is you know I termed it the left CVP. Um, so with that, you kind of have to see your hospital policy on this. Um, some places allow nurses to get wedge pressures. Some places only the doctor can do it because there are some pretty uh, big risks involved. And some people think the risk to reward is not there and they don't use wedge pressures at all um, because you can, when you are inflating the balloon, you can actually um, dissect that um, artery and cause you know a pretty big problem for the patient. So a lot of cardiologists now think that it's not worth the risk and they actually will not get a, um, a wedge pressure and they'll just use everything else that we've been talking about to determine um, fluid status. Now the normal values for a wedge pressure is going to be between four and 12. Um, so usually if you have anything below four that, or, you know, five, four, it's going to be indicative of, um, you know, a patient that would require some fluid or could use some fluid. Um, anything above that, uh, like, you know, above 10, 12, um, will indicate some kind of, um, fluid overload. Um, it, it just kind of depends. You have to look at the clinical picture of the patient, uh, see how they're presenting. If they have heart failure, then of course, you know, that could be, um, conclusive with, uh, fluid overload. But so that's one way of looking at your fluid responsiveness for your patient is looking at wedge pressures. Um, like I said, it's going to be kind of hit or miss if your doctors use them or not. And if you can even measure them or not. So, um, you're going to have to go with hospital policy and your doctor's, um, orders on that one. Um, but basically everything else that we've talked about translates over to this invasive. So stroke volume variation is going to be a lot more accurate because it's going to be, uh, directly measuring as well as your cardiac output. So I would trust my SVV and my SVR a lot more with this one. And, um, the same comes with uh, your CVP. You know, it does kind of sit in the same area that you would as a central venous catheter, although these usually sit uh, directly in the right atrium as opposed to um, the superior vena cava. So that will give you a more accurate look at that as well. Now, another number that you can use um, with this uh, invasive technique is going to be stroke volume. Um, I didn't really touch on it with the other ones because it's very up in the air on if those numbers are accurate or not because they're not being directly measured like they are with a uh, Swan-Gans catheter. Um, so with a stroke volume, you expect anywhere, it's kind of the same as heart rates, the normal range. So your normal range for heart rate is 60 to 100 usually. Um, so it's the same thing for stroke volume, but the thing is, is that it does not take into account the body surface mass, body surface area of the patient. Um, so you could have a 300 pound person with a, um, stroke volume of a hundred and it might not be enough for them. So what we do is we use a stroke volume index, which is kind of on the same principles as cardiac index, how we don't really go off cardiac output anymore. We usually refer to the cardiac index because people come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, and one person might require one thing while another person might require another. So, um, you should always be looking at your stroke volume index. Um, and the normal for that is, uh, 33 to 47. So if you have a low stroke volume, uh, that can be directly correlated with a low, uh, fluid status. Um, and this patient 
could be uh, responsive to fluids. Um, so it's just another thing to use. Now, when we come down to it, you don't wanna just use one number to determine fluid status. You wanna kind of use everything that you have at your fingertips to determine if this patient could use some kind of bolus or some kind of colloid administration. And um, this is where you have to bring everything together, your SVR, your SCV, your SV, um, your wedge pressure if you get it. Um, and this is going to be the most accurate way of telling and you know giving this information to the doctor to determine if this patient is going to need a bolus or not. So um, I think we've adequately covered how to determine fluid status or what pieces of information you can use um, all the way from not having any specialized equipment to having the most specialized equipment. Um, and then something I forgot to really touch on with the most invasive, like with swans, um, you'll usually have uh, some kind of Vigileo or a uh, monitoring de device that goes along with it. And these are really good at showing a graphical representation of both like the Sterling curve and just a um, usually a graphical representation on if the patient needs fluid or not. So it will actually take all these pieces of information and just give you a graphical analysis of if this patient needs fluid or not. So you can always count on that as well, but always use your judgment and look at the numbers and um, tell yourself if you think this patient could benefit off fluids. Um, so I hope this helps y'all. Uh, it's something that I really could have used when I first started in CVICU. Um, just always having something in your pocket to figure out what your patient is doing and um, what they could use, especially coming out of like a cabbage or any kind of cardiac surgery where the chest is open for um, a certain amount of time. So um, that's all I got for y'all today. But uh, if you got any questions, you can always message me on Instagram at nursedoseofficial. Um, follow me on TikTok at nursedose. Um, but yeah, that's all I got for y'all. I hope y'all have a good day and I will talk to y'all later. Bye.